there do seem to be a lot of UX researchers who were laid off. And so they are all going to be looking for jobs. And so the market is just like very saturated right now with like people who have, you know, Meta and Google and Microsoft in, in their name and who have been at these companies and like have experience who are going to be applying for roles. So I would just like, I would keep that in mind. Um, I mean, I know people who have still done it, um, but I think it was already becoming like kind of hard because there were just like more and more people like aware of this area um, and it's just it's just harder to transition also when you're post PhD like if you're currently a grad student like do an internship and like I do know people who have gotten full-time offers like right out of grad school because they did an internship but there are so many other research jobs out there that you could pursue that are not UX and that are still fulfilling um, so and that might, that it might be easier to get at this point that are probably going to be easier to get so I would also just consider that there UX is not the only research job I feel like it just gets a lot of press because the salaries are really high but that's not a good reason to like spend like eight months of your life trying to break into a field <laughs> welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD today I have the great great pleasure of having with me Ashley Ruba Ashley uh, has a PhD in developmental psychology, and she's a UX, so a user experience researcher at Meta Reality Labs, building the next generation of augmented reality, virtual reality technology at Meta. Prior to joining Meta, Ashley spent over a decade in academic research, studying how young children learned about emotions. And one thing I know is when she was very, very young, Ashley wanted to be an astronaut and explore the stars. Then, because of a tragic event with someone close to her, she wanted to explore the inner universe of what happens in the brain. That's what drew her towards psychology. And eventually, uh, her interests led her to how children learn things. But uh, today, you are kind of looking into the, the future or helping Meta Reality Labs to look into the future as a user experience researcher. So the thing I would love to talk about today is how that transition transpired. Uh, I, I know a lot of the people who watch and who listen to Papa PhD are thinking themselves, okay, I'm at the end of my PhD, what's next? Or I'm in my postdoc, but I feel I need to, sh to shift. How do I do it? Is there space? Is there somewhere out there where I'll fit in a team to, to do work that's going to be interesting to me? And I... I kind of know the answers for you <laughs> of some of these uh, of some of these questions, but I, I really want you to share your experience and and how you got uh, you got here today. Yeah, so I I went through grad school really liking research, and I was told that you know I was amazing, and that if I really liked doing research, then I should be a faculty member. And so I didn't really mm. question that. I didn't really think about any other career options, and went through my most of grad school being like, no, I'm going to be tenure track R1. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And then kind of towards the end, I was questioning whether that was actually what I wanted to do. I had sat on a faculty search committee. So I saw the process from the other side of how they were actually selecting like who got the jobs. And it was really uh, clarifying and disheartening. Absolutely. Um, to just see how many amazingly qualified people were applying for a single job and I just, I didn't know that that was going to like work out for me. Um, and then I ended up applying to one postdoctoral fellowship thinking I wouldn't get it. And then I got it and it was a pretty prestigious NIH T32. I was like, well, I guess I'll like keep writing this like academia thing. Um, mm -hmm. And that was late 2019. So yeah. great, a great year to, <laughs> to start a postdoc. Um, and then fast forward three years, COVID. The academic job market's collapsing. I'm a third-year postdoc. I don't have a faculty job. And like, do I keep doing this or do I leave? And I was like, no, I'm done. I'm going to leave. So <laughs> I quit my fellowship and now I work in tech. So mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. that's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in, in a nutshell, yeah. Now, one of the, of the things, uh, the questions that I, I often get, uh, very, very often is, and I, yesterday I was with like, late you know people who are finishing their phds mm -hmm. and they were asking me I, i'm worried that i won't find something stimulating intellectually stimulating out there and i'm pretty sure that you can debunk this myth in 
a couple of, of, <laughs> of sentences I, based on your story. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I had this, I had the same worry. And I think you're, for me, I was told by a lot of my advisors and fac- like other faculty that, you know, academia was like the only and like most intellectually stimulating thing that you could possibly do career wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you have to like keep in mind that none of these people have actually like worked in another career by mm-hmm. and large. So I wouldn't necessarily like trust faculty as well, meaning as they can be with career advice about non-academic jobs. But I definitely had this concern for sure. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's like smart people work in so many different fields. Like academia isn't unique in that way. And I think my, like my current job, which is very different than what I did in my PhD, I was doing developmental psych research with infants. Now I'm working in tech. I like don't work with kids anymore. And both of these research spaces are like super challenging and like really ambiguous and require a lot of creativity. And it's like, it's so stimulating and it's so, it's Mm. so, it's actually like quite hard and like quite challenging to work in tech, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I wish, I wish I could have told myself that I was actually interested in something beyond this, like very niche subject of like how babies learn about emotions. And I actually mm-hmm. have like much broader interests, um, that are also equally stimulating to me intellectually. Mm-hmm. And we have a comment here. Uh, the intellectual stimulating argument is definitely the number one way people stand in their own way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very widespread one. And it's something that even even if people don't say it like you know word word per yeah. word it's an echo that's out there and it's something that that you you kind of assume while uh, while going through graduate school and the academic uh, the academic route there's kind of a nobility to staying on the path uh, in a way yeah definitely and i think yeah i think again you like hear this from faculty and then i think i also believed it but i, I like I would I would challenge you to think about like what evidence do you have that you actually won't like anything else? Like have you actually done an internship? Have you actually tried anything? Like any other kind of research? Um, like how do you know? And the thing is like I didn't know until I was in my first UX job and you know, a weekend I was like, Oh, this is actually like pretty interesting. And then mm-hmm. I did a project with a tech company and I was like, oh, I really like tech, which is hilarious because going through grad school, I was like, I'll never work at a tech company. Tech companies are evil. And I think you hear this a lot in like the social sciences, <laughs> like, oh, you're just selling your soul to a tech company. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely, if you would have told me as a grad student that I'd be working for better right now, I would have not believed you. Like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like absolutely not. Like, I'm not going to work for Facebook. Like, what are you talking about? So it's just, it's very funny. Like what you, what you believe that you might like or not like. But so the good thing is that some, some, somehow at some point you allowed yourself to consider this possibility. And, uh, and I'd really love to, to, you know, catch up, catch on to this and, and actually go that route of when, when did you, so you, you talked about how COVID and the the crisis in the in the uh, academic market had of course a direct effect on the choices you made but you just said if you had asked me when i was a graduate student i would have kind of laughed in your face, like no way that i'm going to do this yeah how what was the moment where you said first i need to look outside and i need to widen my horizons yeah and actually consider things that i had never considered before because this is you know the unknown unknowns is is a big issue for for young researchers and, and oh, that, sure. that's fear inducing and anxiety inducing. Yeah, so there were there were there were two moments. One, I was actually like in grad school still, and this was after I sat on that search committee, and I was in my last year, and I'm like, I don't know, that academia is for me. And at that point, I was doing my PhD in Seattle. Um, I adore Seattle. Like, I really wanted to stay there. All my friends were there, and I the only people I the only career path I knew that people did who like wanted to stay in Seattle who had a PhD in psychology was going to UX and so I started talking with some alumni in my program and I was like I don't know that I really like want to do this like maybe Mm. it's boring um I wasn't I don't feel like I understood enough about UX it seems like a lot of um like working on websites which I actually Mm. think I work on hardware and I so I actually don't really like working on websites but I really like working on hardware um so I wasn't convinced at that point that it was like going to be a good career path but it seemed Mm. like a clear career path. And I had Google and Microsoft like trying to give me like contract offers, which is Hmm. like very funny now because like what would have happened if I would have taken a contract offer at Google like three years ago, my life would have been very different right now, probably. Um, 
but then, you know, like going, going through my postdoc, it was, I had applied for, I went on the academic job market, like didn't do a really big search because there, I just like, wasn't sure that I really wanted to just live anywhere. And in December of 2021, I realized that I wasn't going to get interviews at the places that I applied, like interview invitations. I went out, it wasn't going to happen. And at that point, my decision was, do I spend another year and a half as a postdoc, perhaps longer, try the academic job market again, which I also found to be so anxiety producing. And like, I have an anxiety disorder. And I was like, do I really want to put myself through that again? Or I could just leave. Like, I could leave right now and like do something else and have like get some control over my life. Um, And, you know, I could decide where I live. Like I could like move somewhere and like potentially buy a house and like start planning like my new career. And I just, I was like, I, I just couldn't do my postdoc anymore. I'm like, mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta go. And so I didn't spend like enough time in the clear, career exploration stage at that point and just applied to like a lot of things really broadly and ended up taking the first job offer that I had, which was in UX. Um, but I did it look at like a bunch of other research positions. I knew that I really wanted to do research, but I didn't really think about like where and what topic necessarily. It was very much like, I just need to get out now and I'll take like whatever job allows me to leave like right now. <laughs> Excellent. Now, the next step I imagine was, uh, you know, you applied to all these jobs. Conversations started happening like with people uh, from, you know, from HR, whatever the people who wanted to hire you. And one of the, the other fears or, or, you know, unknowns that stress people or, or get people anxious or uh, fearful is uh, how, you know, how do I tell the people in front of me that I did all this studying, all this research, and then now I want to go into the private sector? And, you know, how do I come uh, across as a good candidate in a domain where I have no experience. What yeah. was that? What, how was that for you? Because so f- at least you told us that you knew that that's where you wanted to go. So it means that you probably had some homework done. But those first conversations uh, for for some of these places where where you or the place that you end up getting hired first, how did that go? Yeah. So I definitely I did a lot of things wrong in my job search that I wouldn't recommend. And I think the first mistake that I made was not like narrowing down a specific role that I wanted, because how you would like frame your experience for a role in UX research is very different than a research scientist position. So when I look back at my like very first resume, it's like, oh, yeah, no wonder I like wasn't really getting like UX like bites. Um, mm-hmm. Like this was the only like interview I had for a UX research position and I got this job offer, but all of the other places that I had gone through interviews were definitely more like research scientist positions that wanted a PhD um, specifically for that role. So I feel like that, so I would just like get first, like do career exploration, like talk to people and like really narrow down on like a single, a single like career path for sure. Um, because you'll just need to tailor your application and your LinkedIn and your resume and all of that accordingly. Um, but the first the first job that I had was like it was a true entry level like UX research position, which are not very common. So I will say that I did get three lucky and that I found this job. Um, and yeah, I think I had just I had learned enough about how to write a resume to where that got me to the hiring manager. And I think like I interview pretty well and I've never like not asked an interview okay. um once i got to like the interview stage i feel like i can like usually sweet talk my way into a job <laughs> um but it's it was like that first step of just like getting getting to like the hiring manager that was hard um but i think with the the entry-level job they weren't expecting me to have like ux experience specifically mm-hmm. but it is hard to it's a, it's a, it is like a mindset shift to where we're so focused in or PhDs on like what we study and outside of academia, it's much more about what skills you have. So mm-hmm. like no one at Meta cares that I studied babies, but they do care <laughs> that I like, I'm a really good researcher. Like I know how to do experimental design. I know how to do qualitative research. I'm like good at public speaking. I'm good at writing, like all of these skills. And like, that's what you need to highlight in your resume mm-hmm. and also like in your interviews. And I mean, we, we could talk in your interviews, like very a lot. I feel like my interview the interviews that I've done at Meta have been like very different than like some of the other interviews that I've done. Um, They're like, they're like 
intense and like grilling and like very um like some interviews it's like a lot of behavioral based questions like tell me about a time you had a conflict with a manager and like those feel very easy but at meta they're like no here's a case study and like what like how would you design the study and like what research Mm. questions would you ask and like what and what would you do if like your team told you you had two weeks to finish this start to finish like how would Mm -hmm. you change things and you're really just having to like think on your feet a lot. And that would have been, I don't think I could have passed that if I had like no UX experience. Like I still, I just, I just did like a second round interview yesterday for another team at Meta. And I still found that experience to be like really intense. (laughs) So this is super, super interesting because I, uh, I, I I have had this conversation before and and I might've talked about it on the podcast of, if you want to break into a space, you and you feel that you you're not let's say qualified or you don't have mm-hmm. the chops yet to get into a big player in the space spending some time in a smaller uh, oh, yeah. company in a smaller organization will have many advantages first the barrier to entry is lower but then mm-hmm. often you get you're able to touch more types of projects and more responsibilities and then you, that's a stepping stone to getting to the the other place. How long were you? You know, how much how much experience did you have that allowed you to do this this transition to Meta? Uh, just three months, <laughs> so, which is which is funny because like the job ad, they were like, we want some of two years of experience, and I like I talked to my managers about this because I'm like, you know, I had three months of like UX experience, right? And they were like, <laughs> well, like yes, but also I think I had just I had learned so much in that three months. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I tell PhDs all the time is like, you can learn anything like really, really fast. So like take that entry level job, like, and this has happened to multiple of my friends where they like take an entry level job. And then within a few months, like with like less than a year, they're like, yeah, I'm like kind of grown out of this role. And then they're able to like move somewhere else pretty quickly. So the first job's the hardest there for sure. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think like some PhDs are like maybe a little versus like uh entry level. Like, I don't know about that, but like, you're transitioning a completely different field. And like your plan B for your career was the thing that someone else has been training to do for like five to 10 years. So you also just like, you have to spend the time to like learn, like there's so much to learn about UX. Like I still don't know it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I still don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And I'm still learning. Like I'm still listening to podcasts and reading books and like talking to people and trying to like learn as much as I can because that's just like how my brain works. But it's uh, (laughs) a, There's so there's so much. Um, for sure. It makes total sense. And one of the thing the things that I, I feel is that we de- we become expert students in a way, or expert mm-hmm. learners after all that time studying and all that time in graduate school. And this that you, this that one minute that you just said that you were talking, it just makes total sense to me. And the, the that idea of oh, I I studied this much. I need to I need to have this type of entry position that pays this much and has this much prestige people who are on the other side like you said they don't know you know they they first they they don't know exactly how graduate school works you know they don't know exactly what experience you actually have each phd each person has a different experience and if they come from different domains they can even be worlds apart of what skills they bring uh, mm-hmm. from their phd but one they bring is learning learning fast yeah. and and yeah. And and being plastic with their with their minds, so I I really love that that you share this. Yeah, and I think like it's funny because I talked to some PhDs who definitely like have this more like like kind of elitist mindset of like, well, I have a PhD, so like I should be able to get um, because like tech companies like were like they again like Microsoft and Google when I was in grad school were like throwing contract offers at me, and I'm like, I don't even know what UX is. Like it was very easy three years ago, mm-hmm. or, like comparatively to like break into the space than it is now it's like much harder now but then I also talked to a lot of PhDs who were very like they're just like I have no marketable skills like I'm not good for anything outside of academia and I'm like who they told you this <laughs> and I feel like I, I try to do a lot of work to be like no you have like so many marketable skills like you just have to figure out like like how to sell them and you probably have like depending on what role you're trying to break into, you might have like 80% of the skills that you need and you can learn the other 20%. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I think people get this very like down and out mindset about how they're like no good for anything except academia. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
I don't know who told you this. Probably a faculty member, I'm sure. <laughs> well, again, like I said, it's a culture, eh? academia. There's there's these there's these beliefs. There's these uh, some of the the conversations I've had not so long ago were were to this belief that you know money or private money is dirty or uh, yeah. know, this, we don't we don't do this for money, but yet everyone needs to pay their rent the same oh, yeah. <laughs> and buy their food the same. So you know, uh, there's a lot of of beliefs out there that maybe if they if they don't come from a specific person or faculty like you said they're just out on in the in the airwaves yeah. and and you kind of soak them in just by going through the process and uh but then there's also a question of personality and of uh you know how much you you are inclined to negative self talk versus being just open to new to new vistas yeah. and uh, but but I think what's interesting of having someone like you here talking today is showing that no, it's it's it is possible. There are transferable skills, and these organizations and large ones like the one you're at, mm-hmm. they want people with those skills. Mm-hmm. Now, you need to talk. You need to talk with people like Ashley, like uh, people in whichever domain interests you, who came from an academic uh, background and are now, you know, working in these organizations, and ask them, how did you transition? Mm-hmm. What you know? What did you have to learn? to to kind of adjust and and get the lingo and learn the new culture etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's just learning something new and and mm-hmm. appropriating a, a new space that you didn't know and changing some of the words you know uh what what words would you change let's say for skills that you had in academic that now you use in your in your particular example that now you, you use in ux yeah um yeah, I actually, I actually had a. I was thinking about reposting this because I actually had a tweet about this that I think people liked. Um, so I think like cross-functional teams, for example, is something mm-hmm. that you hear a lot, and people are like, I don't know what that means. And so in my role, it's basically like I'm on a I'm on a UX research team, but I'm working with designers and engineers who are maybe like doing audio or eye tracking. So they're like on different teams, and so they have different functions. And so I'm basically just like talking to these people of different roles. And collaborating with each other in order to conduct and design research together, mm-hmm. and and I think so. In order to like do that well, you just have to be able to like I have to be able to communicate with people who are not researchers, who are not social scientists, um, who don't have like human subjects research training, and trying to you know figure out like what research question to ask, what design is the best, and then going back and actually telling them what I found. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like somewhat analogous if you're working with people in a different department, for example. I mean, that's still like researchers at the end of the day, but you just need to be able to communicate what you do to people who are not experts in your field. So I feel like that's also a way that you can work in cross-functional teams or also doing science communication, like public outreach, talking to people who are not scientists. Um, so I had a paper about like child development and mask wearing during COVID. And I did a lot of interviews with like CNN and BBC and stuff. So like that was also a good exercise in communicating my work to people outside of my domain um but then yeah there's there's like a lot of like funny like you hear the word impact a lot and i think that's that's really hard um because like impact in academia is measured with how many papers you have and like in what journals there are and like we have impact factors we have h indexes and things like that Um, but then impact outside of academia at least like in ux and i think in a lot of other fields is measured very differently it's very much like with my research, like what decisions were made based on what I found, like where actions were taken. Um, and like being in tech, like my work has the opportunity to completely shift like like features that we're working on or like tech that we're exploring. And so that that is like the impact is like what what is going to like influence like the broader landscape of this business the most. And that's mm-hmm. like a very like in academia, you can publish a paper and it could have zero citations. Like no yeah. one could, no one could read it. It could just like sit there forever and doesn't really have like, it doesn't really do anything mm-hmm. sometimes. So I think like that's, that's a hard thing. I think when people yeah. are trying to make resumes, like how do you quantify impact that your academic work has? Because it's not the same as mm-hmm. impact in the business space. Papa PhD is supported by Noted Source, the platform connecting academic researchers to companies for project-based opportunities across disciplines, from sciences to arts and humanities. Top corporate innovation teams work with academia. 
but the smartest ones use Noted Source to discover and collaborate with experts like you. Easily sign up today at papaphd.com forward slash Noted Source. Using Google Scholar and Orchid Imports, it only takes a few minutes to create a professional profile that lets clients know you're open to collaboration. Noted Source handles the bureaucracy so you can focus on what you know best. That's papaphd.com forward slash Noted Source. There's a point about that, which is... Uh, you can, and I, I didn't do this, but I, I've, uh, I've again, I had conversations where the person was uh, proposing this to to tell young researchers, people starting their PhDs, try to find a subject that has some Im- some impact in the real world. It's not a, it's not possible in all domains, more theoretical domains. Well, you know, you're just contributing, you know, an, an mm-hmm. iota to a huge, uh, you know, knowledge knowledge base, and and that's and that's necessary. But um, especially if you're in the social sciences, uh, etc., it's it's something that that you might. And if you're starting, you're finishing your master's and thinking about a, a PhD. Think about what impact, but the second type of impact, the one that you were mentioning, this this can have. And and what story can I tell at the end of the PhD that anyone in the, even in the general public or a possible employer will understand and total and immediately say. Okay, okay, that's interesting. I understand how this could uh, could affect my life. But then again, mm-hmm. it's not possible for everyone. Now, we have questions yeah. from from the audience. Okay. And um one thing that you mentioned and I and I want to pick up on that was tailoring your your uh, resume and and I think we can say that a lot of this tailoring is cutting stuff away, is removing yeah. stuff, right? And that's what's hard and and um and uh because we're attached you know, coming from all of those years doing that uh, to our publications, to our uh, to uh, where we, you know, where we spoke, uh, you know, the, the posters we presented, et cetera, et cetera. And it's hard. It's kind of, uh, um, you know, saying goodbye to, to an old friend. <laughs> for <the> Yeah. <laughs> what was your experience around that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, so I was a writing tutor for like eight years. So I'm very good at like, cutting things and like writing like writing I like don't have that much attachment to like my writing necessarily but yeah it definitely is hard and I've seen like a resume and a CV aren't the same thing they're like completely different documents and a CV is very much a list of like here's like everything I ever did like all of my prestige like look at how prestigious I am and how accomplished I am um how many publications I have and that kind of thing and then a resume is very much like skills based like what skills Mm -hmm. do you have um like for this particular job and like how have you demonstrated that you've used these skills in other spaces to solve similar problems. Mm. And so it's, and you, and you have to, I think, put yourself, put yourself in like the mindset of a hiring manager who's looking at resumes, sometimes hundreds of resumes. Like you just want, you don't want to like burden hiring managers with pages and pages of resumes. Um, So you want it to be like pretty brief. I'm like a big fan of a one page resume. Like Mm -hmm. people have different preferences, I think, but yeah, I see a lot of academics who like list all of their publications and I'm like, yeah, I know we like work like, really hard on them, but mm-hmm. also like, no, like what's, in, what's important, like from the publications is that you have some like deli- deliverable example is like another one of yeah. these words, but you have a deliverable um, from the work that you've done. And yeah. so being able to like on my resume, I just have like published, you know, 15 first author publications and then link to my Google scholar. If people want to click on it. Great. I, Apparently my my manager did click on it. I think he didn't read any of them, but he just wanted <laughs> to like maybe just I, the link was there and like he was curious, but yeah. I don't I don't like expect that people will actually like click on it. No no, um, no, no yeah. No. But <laughs> Which is one fine. thing of course if you come out of your PhD and there's a patent that that was generated mm-hmm. in your PhD yeah. and that's pertinent to wh- what you want to do, of course that that yeah. has to be on your resume for sure. But the other, like the more just academic stuff, it's really you're you're creating friction for the person who's evaluating your your yeah. candidacy. That's unnecessary. Now we have a question here along this along this uh, theme. Giselle asks, "Do you have any resources that could help us translate our academic skills to industry? Did you did you yeah. find something that helped you?" Industry is such a broad term. And so like mm-hmm. my answer is going to be, if you're applying to be a UX researcher, my response to you is going to be very different than if you're applying to be 
something else, like a data scientist, for example, yeah. like the skills are different. Um, and so, and what you need to list is different. So like in my role, I, I'm like a mixed methods researcher, but like no one necessarily like cared that I had programming skills. Um, I, I know how to program in R um, and that's been really useful, but that wasn't going to get me a job. Whereas for a data scientist, like you have to be able to program like that yeah. is a requirement. And I do so, in Python. Yeah, so, yeah I, I, I do. I do have friends who are data scientists who program in R, but I, ha- okay. I do have more friends who program in Python. So there, it depends. But um, but yeah, so it's and and then if you were like a project manager, for example, if like that was or a program manager and like that was the role, like the skills are different than if you're a grant writer. So I would my biggest advice is and what helps me a lot was actually like talking to people who had who were like in UXR and I was like, Hey, can you send me your resume so I can yeah. see like what you have and like how you framed things. And that was really helpful for me thinking about, okay, like how can I actually frame my experience in a way that makes sense? Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, in industry is just like a very vague and like broad term. And I would really just try to narrow down to, like one job title. Yeah. And one of the, it's funny cause one of the, uh, avenues people can follow and where there's need of people with the, the, the PhD profile is even government mm-hmm. and, and policy yeah. and there's so many different uh, spaces yeah uh, now I have another uh, another question it's kind of kind of um, follows up which is uh, is a PhD worth doing if someone knows from the beginning they want to work in industry I, I have yeah my feelings I, about I, this, but I, I really love to have yours. <laughs> um, I would also, I, I would also say again, like industry is like a very broad term. So mm-hmm. for like UX specifically, no, I would not recommend doing a PhD. Most UX researchers don't have a PhD. Um, I think there is some value in doing a master's, and like at least at the University of Washington, there's like a human-centered design and engineering master's degree. And I have friends who've done this master's program; they've gone into UX, they've been very successful. So mm-hmm. it's like a two-year program, um, and as a UX researcher, you make enough money to where like you can pay off those loans, um, and you're not kind of like in a in a five-year PhD. Um, so I I would think about what career you want. Like if you really do want to be like a researcher, for example, I think like there could potentially be some value. Like there are some like research positions that require a PhD. Um, Mm -hmm. There aren't that like most jobs don't require a PhD. Um, So I would definitely think about like what career you want. Like, do you need a PhD to get that career? And then also there's like other factors to consider is like, you know, the programs you're applying to, like how is the stipend? Like, I wouldn't take out yeah. loans to do a PhD. You have mm-hmm. to think about like your own financial situation. Like at the University of Washington, for example, when I went through grad school, I was making 25 grand a year in Seattle, which is completely absurd. Like I had to work, I had to work multiple other jobs in order to like, pay rent. Um, so these are things to consider. And then also I think from like, I also, I also plug like when you're thinking about doing a PhD you really want to try to get like a good advisor as much as you can like suss that out um, initially because if your mentor is not supportive and if they're like toxic or anything you will have a super miserable experience and it will like potentially ruin your mental health for a really long time so these are all like I had a really good PhD experience (laughs) like I had a great advisor like I would still have like done it again it was really fun to like kind of nerd out about this like topic area for five years but I also didn't really consider like what career I wanted in that much depth um so it's like a really personal choice but these are all things to consider but mm-hmm. yeah I think that th- that's good advice I I would say also for for if you know you want to go to industry the ideally I think the master's like you said is is a good mm-hmm. place to to stop uh mm-hmm. and if you can do a master's, do it somewhere where, you know, the lab has uh, uh, connections with with, so, mm-hmm. with said industry that you want to be in and then have internships. And that should be enough of a launch pad for you to then, because mm-hmm. th- then it, it'll allow you to start creating that network, knowing people, understanding what the culture is. And uh, and uh, yeah, I think there it's rare that there are positions that require a PhD. Now, the yeah. thing that, that, uh, that it's always important to me is once you finish PhD, you have uh, the, the the qualifications to do many things, not just mm-hmm. stay in in the lab, not just stay mm-hmm. in academia. And th- that's the myth that I kind of want to break with these conversations. Yeah. Now I, I don't know if you were going to say something, but I I kind of wanted to 
because you know we've been talk- we kind of alluded to uh, Ashley before uh, in, in the postdoc, you know, studying studying babies and being passionate about it, mm-hmm. uh, but also seeing that the job market in that space was becoming a, a bit iffy. Yeah, <laughs> and then now Ashley after and you know i look at you i look at what you publish you seem like because you mentioned that you deal with anxiety and you feel yeah. it feels like you are you are well in your in your skin in your person oh thank you i've tried <laughs> and and why i talk about this is because you know mental health in graduate school mental health in that track for 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 tenure is something that now we hear more and more about and there are there are people who are like champions of having Uh, conversation about mental health being normalized but i just want to have kind of your um, your before and after you know like alice before you know when she's small she takes the pill yeah. and becomes small and now you, you take you go to, you know, go to the other side of the mirror and you take the pill and now it's it's like big ashley you 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 feel valued you feel fulfilled yeah. and i'm i'm just telling you what i what i get from seeing your publications yeah. And you feel so fulfilled that you want to bring people onto this adventure with you. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about this? About uh, uh, about um, how be, how crossing the the, the mirror, the looking glass to the other side, is actually was is actually somewhat of a liberation of sorts and, and oh for sure empowering. Yeah, yeah. I I think to like the back up like a little like I I've struggled with anxiety for like my entire adult life and I like went into grad school with like like pretty intense like social anxiety and just like generalized anxiety as well um Mm. and felt like I had kind of like managed it enough I also have struggled with depression and I feel like in my second year of grad school there was the first my first like semester I was like kind of like not functioning Mm. um and it was really at that point where I was like I really need to go to therapy and I actually ended up in therapy for like the last four years of grad school so most of the time I was in grad school which is really really helpful um so I definitely like if if you're like considering therapy and like can afford it and all of that like fortunately I had like good enough health insurance to where it wasn't super expensive for me to attend therapy but I did mm-hmm. find that to be really really valuable um but grad school was really like academia and grad school is really hard because I I also had like a lot of like perfectionist tendencies and, you know, getting like journal rejections. I was just like beating myself up, like really struggled with imposter syndrome. And I'm like, mm-hmm. my work sucks. Like I'm not doing enough. Like I'll never be good enough for any of this. And just like a lot of really like negative, like critical, like super self-critical, like a lot of negative self-talk and that like continued into my postdoc a little bit. Um, I think I won a couple of dissertation awards, like one from the American Psychological Association, APA. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like after after I won those awards and like got some more external recognition, I was like, oh, maybe like I kind of know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so like the imposter syndrome like lessened a little bit at that point. Um, but yeah, going on the academic job market was terrible. Like it really just like wrecked me because I'm like, I'm pu- I'm like putting myself out there. Like this is my body of work and like, even though I knew that academic hiring is not merit-based, like when I didn't get interviews, I was just so devastated. It was like, what do you mean I didn't do enough? Like I tried so hard and it just, yeah, it's just this culture of like, just not feeling like I'm enough. And then I think being on the other side of that, I can see like, no, I'm like a really talented and like competent person and academia just makes you feel like you're, you're like, you're like nothing. And I just like, really, I feel like leaving allowed me to actually like myself instead of just like, again, just being, I just have a lot of like negative self-talk and being just like really, really critical of myself all the time, which feeds into my like social anxiety. So being able to have that lesson, I feel like I've actually been able to like, I just like I recently moved back to Seattle a few months ago. I've been able to like make friends and like I go to parties where I like don't know people. And I'm like, I would have never done this like as a first year grad student. Like I was like mind boggling to me. So it definitely is like spilled over into my my non-work life in ways that I really like I really appreciate. Like I really like having friends. And um, yeah, it's uh, I feel like not not just like stressing all the time about work and like am I good enough to like stay in this field that I've spent a decade of my life in? Um, 
and yeah, I just, I also have like all of my coworkers tell me all the time how much my work is valued and appreciated. And it's like, no one really told me that when I was a grad student or a postdoc, it was always like, just a lot of criticism and not a lot of praise. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's, I don't know that anyone's been critical of like anything that I've done, <laughs> like in my current job. And it's just so, I'm like, am I doing okay? Like you're not like criticizing my report right now. And they're like, Oh no, it was great. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you talked, you you mentioned how uh, the culture in academia makes you feel small Mm -hmm. until, you know, it's, there's always an until, you know, until I publish this much, until I become a tenured professor, there's always an until and, and it's kind of this exclusive club, but then there's scarcity. There's no, there's so many more PhDs being, being trained than Mm -hmm. spots for 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 getting tenure that the competitivity when you know you were talking about how hard yeah. it was to get rejections it's so so competitive yeah but, but then uh that's it you found that you could be appreciated in another setting and you and you took that took that step you took that leap which i think is was was a great thing for you and, and is working very well for you and for anyone out there doubting that there's space for you outside academia there is and Ashley's oh, yeah. living proof <laughs> yeah and I and I think the thing to keep in mind like it there's space and it probably like won't be like in the same space that you got your PhD like I mean there's some fields that are like more transferable but I know like I've talked to people who have PhDs in the humanities for example mm-hmm. and they're studying like very niche topics in history or something I'm like you're probably not going to be able to do that as a career but like that's okay um and I think like accepting that like this is okay. And like, I can find something else that's equally fulfilling to me. And that actually like pays me enough money to do the things that I want to do in life. Um, I think that's, it's hard to like accept that. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's, there's, there's so, there's so much work out there there's mm-hmm. that you can transition into. So, and I think organizations and, and I, we were mentioning governments, uh, you know, organizations at different levels are dealing with more and more complex problems and, and, this is where people who have come from this grueling adventure of, of discovering something new in a domain on your own, these people have been formatted to these types to work in this. I mean, I'm thinking about social, uh, you know, social uh, events and migration, but also uh, climate. There's so many problems out there that are not only uh, going to be explored in, in academia, in the lab, but also outside in, in organizations. So, yes, there's place for you out there. Yeah, uh, to plug to plug beyond the professoriate, they're saying that I like is smart people work everywhere, and I just <laughs> think that that's really true. And I don't know. I think there there tends to be some like like academia and like this intellectual thing is like the most like prized form of knowledge. Yeah. Like my parents <laughs> didn't go to college, so I feel like I never bought into that like necessarily. Um, and like my dad is someone who like dropped out of high school, like when he got his GED, and he is mm-hmm. like he can like fix anything, like like automotive, like how stuff, like things that I, I can't do. And like, that's, that's like very impressive to me. And so I think we, I don't know, we can put a higher education on some pedestal, but I'm, I'm just like, there's so many like talented people doing all kinds of things in the world mm-hmm. and academia isn't like the end all be all for jobs. I agree with you. And, uh, and I think we can be kind of these uh, uh, super uh, versatile people at a different level because mm-hmm. we've learned to study we've learned to research we've learned to treat data we've le- you know and and plus we've done the, we've learned to do these long-winded not very immediately re- rewarding project which is a PhD mm-hmm. yeah and uh, and that's that's important in any project in life uh, in my opinion yeah there's one question here just to go back to your experience with with UX you kind of mentioned that it was easier 3 years ago and uh, what's your your opinion on the state of the UX, UX research job market for PhDs looking to evolve? Yeah, I've, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot because yeah, there have been um, so a few thoughts like there are UXR positions like not just at the big tech companies like I feel like they got they got a lot of press, um, but there are UX jobs in like a bunch of other smaller companies and also not in tech. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, but at the same time, it's there do seem to be a lot of UX researchers who were laid off. And so they are all going to be looking for jobs. And so the market is just like very saturated right now with mm-hmm. like people who have, you know, Meta and Google and Microsoft in, in their name and who have been at these companies and like have experience who are going to be applying for roles. 
And so as someone who's like brand new into the field, it is going to be more competitive to break into the space because you're competing with people who already have like experience and experience at the companies. Um, so it is like a, it is like a tricky time right now for people who like want to break into UX research. Um, but I, I think like I, so I just like, I would keep that, those things in mind. Um, I mean, I know people who have still done it. Um, but I think it was already becoming like kind of hard because there were just like more and more people were like aware of this area. Um, and it's just, it's just harder to transition also when you're post PhD, like if you're currently a grad student, like do an internship. And like, I do know people who have gotten full-time offers like right out of grad school because they did an internship. Um, but, but yeah, I would also, I feel like I just talked to a lot of people who like are, don't really know what UXR is mm-hmm. and they're just mm-hmm. like, well, you make a lot of money. So like, I'm going to pursue this career because it seems like it's well paying. And I'm like, that's not like a great reason to go into UX. Um, so I would just like spend more time on career exploration and really figure out like, is this what I want to do? And just be aware that like, if you decide that you really do want to pursue this, like do it intentionally and like understand that it's probably going to be like a hard time right now. Um, not impossible, but there are so many other research jobs out there mm-hmm. that you can pursue that are not UX and that are still fulfilling. Um, yes. So, and that might, that it might be easier to get at this point that are probably going to be easier to get. So I would also mm-hmm. just consider that there UX is not the only research job. I feel like it just gets a lot of press because the salaries are really high, but that's not a good reason to like spend like eight months of your life trying to break into a field. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, you had a, a, an interest in it from before, and then the, the you know the, there's a logic there, of course. But there's other there's other other places, other jobs. Like um, I think it's also more more difficult now, but um, data analyst or data. data yeah. Um, what's the term now? Scientist. Yeah, data science. Thank you so much. (laughs) Data scientist is is one, but then there's more. And of course, you you, if you follow your values and your interests, Mm -hmm. then you're gonna shine in an interview, and you're gonna you know you're gonna be able to, like you said, sweet talk yourself into into a position. (laughs) But if you're trying to to play the game of, uh, I'm going to, to. act as if this is my interest and it doesn't come from your core that you know it might be it might not be like you said the, the best yeah. strategy out there um now th- there's and we're reaching the end of the interview but there's a question here mm-hmm. an interesting question by amani uh, which I, I really like which is you know what do you bring from because you spent all these years doing this huge thing which is a phd and then you you got this this possibility of, of this prestigious postdoc and you you know it's a lot of time of your life mm-hmm. and people and again going a little bit to more the mind people can feel or can hear from outside people say oh why th- then why did you do all of those years it's it's kind of a failure no it, it was kind of a, a, a time not well spent you know why 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 now you kind of lost all these years of phd so uh, Amani Said asks what would you say is the number one lesson growth you've had as an academic that has benefited you in your life or work? It's a good question. Um, there were like a couple of different things that came to mind. Um, I don't know. I don't know which one is like the right answer, but I think like, uh, I think like being in research in particular, I think really changed how I engage with my life in the world in terms of, I'm like a very analytical person, um, probably probably like a lot more than I used to be. And also just like the critical thinking skills and being able to like, provide evidence like for and against things like these I think like that kind of like critical thinking and like this detail oriented like research mindset that I had for so long like has really benefited me in kind of like in my life and my social interactions with like other people I think people you know I'm like a pretty attentive person I like pick up on like other other people's cues really easily um and I think that's just because I'm just like this very like attentive attentive person and this like attention to detail and analytical nature and like critical thinking I think is I mean it's it's continued to make me like a very good researcher and I'm like I'm still a scientist like I'm not in academia but I haven't like left research or science like I'm still doing science Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I think 
I think I was someone who used to be guided a lot more by like my emotions without really like thinking things through. Um, and then once I got into research, I feel like that really changed just how I engage with people in the world in a much, uh, yeah, just like a, a more, th- a more thoughtful way. And, uh, and now a, a question that I, that I had, that I thought, thought of before we spoke, uh, which is you, you're in the lab now. Somehow you managed <laughs> to leave academia and your postdoc, mm-hmm. and to now be able to say, "I oh, actually, I'm in the, re- in the yeah. <laughs> reality lab." Yeah, I am. Uh, I am in the lab. Yeah, I'm in, and I'm in like the R and D side of reality lab. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> and that it feels like in a lot of ways like very academic. And I'm like working with, you know, I'm working with people who have like PhDs and various like, um, various like engineering fields who are doing like like pretty basic science on like material science and things like that. Um, so in some ways, yeah, it is like, it is like kind of academic. And I didn't realize that I liked R and D so much. Um, I mean, I really liked research so that makes, that makes sense. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still a scientist. I think people talk about like, Oh, if I leave academia, you're like leaving science. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, no, like scientists work everywhere. Yeah. But it, my, it, my follow-up question is what's the difference between the day to day in the in today lab that you are and in mm-hmm. being in the lab before yeah i think my role is like my current role is actually kind of similar to like my work is like a, a later like a more senior grad student or a postdoc mm-hmm. to where i'm i am doing research all day i'm like meeting i'm meeting with teams to figure out what research questions they want to ask and i'm just leading end to end the research process so designing studies collecting data, writing reports, and presenting my findings and all of that. So I'm managing multiple projects at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, it, is, it does in some way feel like very similar to like me building my research program as a grad student and a postdoc. Um, I don't ever have to like teach courses, which is great because I like really didn't like teaching courses. Um, and, and yeah, I just get to like do research all the time. Um, and like, And yeah, and that's that was always like my favorite part of academia was the research part. Um, so yeah, it's nice that I found a job where I actually get to do the thing that I like and I don't have to mm-hmm. like write grants or like peer review or teach and like all, all these other or like serve on like like all these like service committee stuff um that maybe I that I wasn't like super interested in. So yeah, so that's like it's like very similar in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. The pace is just exceptionally fast mm. comparatively to academia. Um, and I think that's hard. That's a hard adjustment for some people. Like, no, I have to like finish the study and like start to finish in like a month or two. Like mm-hmm. that's all the time that I have. And I can't just like noodle on it for months and then write the paper over the course of years. And then, mm-hmm. and it goes out in the world and like, maybe someone reads it, maybe someone doesn't like it. <laughs> no, I'm like, no, this has to be done. Like now, no. <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing I feel is first you you are intellectually stimulated, and the, the pace is different, of course. But it feels like there's there's more people in your day to day. Oh yeah, that's so a that's feeling a, I get. Yeah, no, that's also very different because yeah, when I was a grad student, I was the only person in my lab. Like we didn't have a lab manager. There another grad student, so I was essentially the lab manager, and it was super isolating. Um, and then I did most of my postdoc in COVID, which was also very yeah, isolating. Yeah. So yeah, it's so nice to like, like I have a team of people um, and then I'm also like, you know, uh, like talking, like I'm working with other people who are like different teams. We're all working towards the same goal at the end of the day. And I feel like, I don't know, industry gets a lot of hate, I think from faculty who are like, oh, I don't want a boss. I don't want people like, telling me what I can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's, you're not like being told what to do. You're like collaborating with people to like work towards a problem as opposed to just like making every single decision on your own, um, mm-hmm. which like there, there are pros and cons, but I found that to be like pretty isolating in academia. And I much rather like bounce ideas off of people. And like at the end of the day, I feel like I still have a lot of autonomy to like push for, like, I think we should do things this way, but I really like bouncing ideas off of people mm-hmm. and people typically like have a lot of insight because smart people work in a lot of different, <laughs> on a lot of different <laughs> roles. And like, Like everyone, like almost everyone I work with, like, I don't know, like a handful of people with PhDs, but like almost everyone that I work with actually doesn't. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now 
we're really now reaching the end the end of the intro and and uh, I, it was really fun uh, talking with you and, and learning all of this experience that, that mm. you've had and your point of view on all of these things but one of the things that uh anyway, I left it to the end because you've been pretty vocal about it uh, and it's it's how and we talked we kind of touched yeah. on it in the middle but how your time your sweat <laughs> is valued in your job now versus mm-hmm. in academia and you said before academia makes you feel small and part of this feeling small in my opinion and i think it's a bad thing is you don't learn to value your time to value your yeah. work mm-hmm. and uh and you know you've mentioned you know three times what you were making as a postdoc is what is what yeah. you're getting today mm-hmm. it's it's a lot it can be like unimaginable for for, for some it's, people it's, it's still yeah to be i still can't <laughs> but, it, <laughs> Grab my head but it's true and, and the question because again I've, i'm always thinking of, of the people who are listening or, or watching and who, who haven't had a, a second during their phd to think mm-hmm. about how do i interview how do i negotiate my salary can you just chat about just talk a couple of minutes about maybe some principles or how it went with you, these first conversations about salary, about remuneration. Yeah. So I, I feel like I didn't have a good idea about salary because yeah, I was making like about 50 grand as a postdoc, which is like NIH rate. Um, so like pretty standard. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think like I, I chatted with like some other people to kind of figure out like ballpark, like what people were making. And yeah, I think I, like, and unfortunately, like some places had posted the salary ranges on job ads, but I feel like negotiation was still like, I didn't negotiate my first job offer at all because I told That's them awesome. I, I, yeah, I told them it was really, it was kind of annoying because they like forced me to put on the application, forced me to put a number down and I put a hundred grand down. And then they told me like the highest we can go is 80. And I was like, Oh, like whatever that's fine um and then they ultimately did offer me a hundred and so i was like well i don't want to like you already offered me like more than you said you would so i don't want to like negotiate uh, more than that um but at my current job at meta like the the rate they offered me like 62 dollars an hour which i think comes out to like maybe 130 initially which is still like again like an absurd amount of money that i still mm-hmm. like can't wrap my head around um but i i had a friend who's a con who's also like a contractor at meta and he told me how much money he was making for the same role and so i knew that i could ask for more money okay and so i was like no like he told me he was making 75 an hour like i'll just ask for this and then they just gave it to me they're like yeah mm-hmm. sure and i'm like oh okay like great <laughs> that was that it was that easy and now i'm making like a 30 grand more than <laughs> i thought than like they originally offered so i think like fortunately like salary transparency is becoming more of a thing at least like like in Washington state, like where, where I live and also in like California and New York, like there are like salary bands that are popping up, but I'd say like, um, yeah, like all of my initial job offers out of that were like all research scientists or like UXR positions out of my postdoc were between a hundred and one twenty. Okay. Um, so I think like, I mean, and it's de- like things depend on like where you work, but you could definitely You'll definitely be making more money than a postdoc for mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. Um, if you leave academia. Because I think what the average salary of like most faculty is like 80 or 90 mm-hmm. or something like. I don't remember the exact number, um, but below 100. Um, but yeah. but yeah, it's a it's hard because, yeah, these numbers don't make sense to me. This is more money than my family has like ever, <laughs> ever had or like made. And also I lived off of 25 grand as a grad student exactly. in Seattle for five years. So, and now, I, now I'm living off like 160 grand in Seattle. And so this, the numbers like don't, they don't like make sense. Yeah. yeah. But the, the thing that you, that you mentioned and that's the way to go is ask people. Then there's mm-hmm. of course there's Glassdoor and other mm-hmm. websites where you can yeah. try to have some Intel, uh, but don't go in blind Try to not give that, put that number right at the beginning. That's the advice yeah. that I that I uh, that I give. Try to give a ballpark that's quite wide, mm-hmm. <laughs> to at the beginning and say once there's an offer, I'll, I'll yeah. You know, there's an offer on the table, I'll be able to give you a more solid number. But go with Intel. Go in with Intel yeah. and and uh, and uh, and have kind of a an interval that you yeah. feel that you'll be happy with. Yeah. Because I re- I remember I I didn't negotiate my first mm-hmm. salary and yeah. I, and my self value or my the image of my self value 
was not. Oh yeah. Large. He was. It was coming from graduate school, and it, it was. Uh, it didn't help me. Let's say in in the in those first. Uh, yeah. Jobs. And I think yeah, in salary negotiation, I will say it's like much harder for like women and femme people. Like we don't negotiate salary, and I think for and like you can see data on this, and I think like men, men like. I think there's some like, oh, I like view this as like a co- like it's a I'm trying to win like a competition kind of thing. <laughs> and like, so, yeah, I think just like accepting that like salary negotiation is a thing that people do. Um, and and yeah, I also think like, this is something I've thought about because like I'm currently a contractor. I would love to have a full time role. And so at some point in the next year, I will probably be negotiating salary again. And then you have to think about like, well, there's base compensation for like tech companies, but then there's like a bonus and then there's equity and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, all of that adds up to total compensation. And so I, I feel like I still need to dig into like, what is the best thing to negotiate mm-hmm. and all of that? Um, because yeah, it's still, I still like, don't, I don't feel comfortable like doing it. I don't think a lot of people feel comfortable doing it. Um, no, no, it's hard. no, but, but it's something that, that, that you need to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. And maybe train yourself, train yourself to do or to, uh, yeah. to, to be comfortable doing because mm-hmm. it's it is kind of a, a chess game in, in a yeah. way, and it's kind of a dance you need to go through. And if you just mm-hmm. say, don't put on your shoes and stay on the side, then you're you're losing in the end. Uh, yeah. Jordan Brasher is sharing that he made fifty two thousand as a tenure track professor. There you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, I believe it. Ashley, we've we've been over an hour talking, and I don't want to take too, too much of your time. This, I'm so grateful of having yeah. had this, having had this hour to explore all of this with you, and to to share. Uh, you're you're a great guest. You're a super good oh. communicator, oh, thank you. and um, and I think we explored. We covered a lot of terrain. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of uh, you know that we we talked about a lot of things that will help people out there yeah. uh, in their mindset in in knowing that there's stuff out there and that yeah. that uh, you, you don't uh, you don't become a pariah of society by leaving academia and going and going to work in the private sector yeah. or outside yeah. um yeah. where now where if people want to f- you know continue the conversation let's say yeah. we want to reach out to you uh, for people on youtube i have this this little marquee here below uh, let's see if i can do this do this like this um but uh, for the people who are uh, going to just be listening can you just share what, what platforms you're on and how's yeah. the easiest way to reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, I think I I like built my platform on Twitter and then I feel like Twitter's kind of become like a weirder place, but also, I don't know, maybe I'll like save my spicier like takes for Twitter. I don't know. You can find me on like either <laughs> platform, but you can follow me, follow me on both places and on LinkedIn if you want to connect with me, like just I like I have to filter my connections requests a little bit because I get a lot of them. But if you just like attach a message saying mm-hmm. that you like listen to this, listen, like I'd love to connect, like I'm happy, I'm happy to connect. Um, and yeah, those are those are the places I have. Um, if you want to see my resume, um, if that's useful, it's on my website, which is ashleyrubo.com. So well, all the places, I'm like one of the only Ashley Rubas, so you can find me <laughs> pretty easily. Excellent. I will share the, those links, a link to your website, maybe even to your resume directly in the show notes once once cool. the uh, podcast episode is edited and, and published. Um, Ashley, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed this. We touched a little bit on, on the side of mental uh, mental health, which is something that I it's, it's close to my heart. And, uh, and mm-hmm. every time I can, and every time I have a guest that you know that that is ready to delve into that, yeah. I think it's it's a very good thing. To yeah. be able to normalize and to uh, to share some uh, some avenues and sh- some ideas with people mm-hmm. on how to to deal and also to, just to show how you know to to share the story of people who went through through different things that's that's one. Then uh, I think you shared a lot of like actionable like the, the resume one of course is a is a main one mm-hmm. uh, actionable uh, uh, advice. The other one is talk talk with people talk with yeah. people who are doing what you want to do. Talk with people who uh, have the position that you want, even if they're like you know five years ahead. Mm-hmm. It's all you're, you'll always gain by having conversations. It can be more struck. It can be an informational interview. You can ask mm-hmm. people, "Hey, can I have twenty minutes of your time? Uh, I'm doing this. I'm super interested in your domain, of course." But also, you can just out of your curiosity, if you're in the middle of your PhD, start having these these conversations. Follow your your curiosity. Uh, mm-hmm. because you'll only gain you can learn one thing you can learn is okay i don't like this 
that's that's yeah. that's one good yeah. outcome and then you'll focus on something else but then if you, if there's if it's something that really you see that it's in your future you'll learn many things you know the lingo the culture the codes of of the new space and mm -hmm. whenever a serious conversation about a potential position arises you'll come out you know you'll come uh, you'll come out as much a, a much better candidate and you because you'll talk the talk and uh, there, there's going to be uh, they, the the people across will will see oh this person is almost already in the organization what's happening yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i want to thank you all, for all, all of very this. true thank you. well yeah thank you this is a lot of fun thank you Papa for having PhD me is a labor of love if you like the show and have found value in it You can pay it forward by donating to help other people like you hear Papa PhD. Even a $5 one-time donation will be really appreciated. So go to papaphd.com forward slash support to donate or to papaphd.com forward slash Patreon to become a patron. Your support will help me cover the cost of hosting, equipment and other recurring expenses needed to bring you a high quality show week after week. Thank you for your support. I am David Mendez. See you next week.